Not everything that happens in this world happens just as God wishes. When people say, whatever is, is best, they cannot really mean what they say, or they mean it with certain conditions and reservations which filch the literal meaning from the words. Not everything that happens is for the best. Welcome to Christian Holiness Sunday, where we read classic works by old-time holiness preachers. Today's selections from William E. Sangster's sermon, What If Calamity Comes? Welcome. Holiness is perhaps the most misunderstood concept in Christianity. Anyone who has striven to follow the life of Christ will tell you that it is impossible. No one can match his love, no one can match his grace, and no one can match the compassion of Christ. For no one but Jesus is perfect and holy. Once the believer is filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit, though, he or she is filled to the brim with the love of Christ and desires nothing more than to please God and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. The love of sin is then gone, and in its place is a love and compassion for others. That is Christian holiness, and this is Christian Holiness Daily. The writer met a friend one day, a minister, returning from a funeral. Even allowing for the sad errand which had occupied his mind, he seemed peculiarly low-spirited. I have just buried a child, he said, and the child's father is under arrest for manslaughter. Last Saturday evening, it seems, he came home drunk, clambered into the bed where his wife and little one were asleep, and in his fuddled condition pushed the baby out of the bed. It fell, and as it fell, the child's head struck the fender of the bed. In the gray light of the next morning, they found the little boy's body cold and dead upon the floor. The police were called, and of course the father is in prison awaiting his trial. But that wasn't the whole of it, my friend went on. After the internment, one of the mourners, trying to make the little pious talk in the parson's presence, said, Ah well, it can't be helped. I suppose it was the will of God. The will of God, my friend said bitterly. That wasn't the will of God. God could never have wished that that dear child be pushed to death by a drunken brute. It was a horrible travesty, and one that God would never have wished for that little child. As we parted, I turned the old problem over in my mind again. What happens to the guidance of God when calamity comes? Calamity isn't always the outcome of obvious sin. It overtakes the saints. Untimely death has nipped the life out of the noblest souls, and not death merely, but death through agonizing pain, disaster like rain falls on the just and the unjust. The horror of it strikes one dumb, and when speech does return, a tempest of question rises to the lips. Does God guide us? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Does He lead us to the lip of calamity and leave us there to fall in? The problem demands an attempt at an answer because any day 
might thrust it on our notice again and because it challenges faith. If anguish comes, can doubt be far behind? God's will for his children, we believe, is the perfection of their characters and their ultimate bliss. But the cast of our inherited nature and the conditions of a sin-spoiled world do not allow an easy path to that end. God therefore permits the woes of life to press upon us. The consequences of our own sin, and sometimes the sin of others, the consequences of our carelessness and ignorance, and the carelessness and ignorance of others. The loss of the Titanic, for instance, was due to reckless racing through an ice field, and the death toll was lengthened by the fact that she only carried boat accommodation for up to 1,200 people, though the passengers and crew totaled 2,293. It was a compound of pride and criminal folly. W.T. Stead was among the passengers, going to America in the interest of world peace and to take part in the men and religion forward movement. He was drowned. He was a man of God, and yet he was drowned because of someone else's sin or folly. Yet God meets us in every situation. Here's the cry with which our bleeding hearts fling to him, and he bears with us when in bitterness we question his restraint. He bears with us when we deny his love and doubt his existence. Granted a willing and responsive heart in us, he can so turn tragedy into triumph and loss into gain that men have even believed that he sent the pain and devised the disaster so marvelously does he bring good out of evil. Think how closely joy and pain are interwoven in the fabric of our human lives. Our achievements in love measure our capacity for pain. Before I knew my friend or cared for him, his doings were of no account to me. He could pass me in the street with a frozen stare and I would not mind. He did not sympathize with me in my trouble and I did not miss his sympathy. When success came to me, he sent no congratulations, but it did not make me grave. We were outside each other's circle and we had no sense of lack, but when I learned to love that friend, I armed him with the power to wound me deeply. I put a weapon in his hand and exposed my heart to the bare point. The more I loved, the more he could wound. If he ignores me now, I'm hurt. If he denies his sympathy, I miss it. If he lapses into sin, I share his shame. Love has made me vulnerable and has exposed me to pain because pain and love are inextricably woven into the only kind of life we know. When calamity has us in its grip, we look the ugly intruder in the face, feel its power to steal the joy from half of our life, and cast our querulous inquiries at God, demanding to know why it had to be. In that hour, the safeguarding of our freedom just doesn't seem enough. In our bewilderment, we feel that a loving God would find effective discipline to somehow make an easier way. We look at him through mists of tears and wonder if in his greatness, he really feels our woe. Then it is that our God comes and shows us his feet, his hands, his side, 
And if the wounds of Jesus could talk, they would say, I have suffered. Then it is that we feel with Emerson, how nigh is the grandeur of our dust? How near is God to man? He has suffered. He does not simply reign in some, some far off splendor, untroubled by our woe. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide us until the day is done. The whole story of the Passion is rich in its power to bless. We go on with him into the Garden of Gethsemane and we feel when our own sorrow is most vivid to our thought that we have not drunk the cup of bitterness so deep as his. In all the dark mystery of it, the shadows seem never so dark as they do in Gethsemane. The word agony is used of our Lord only in the garden. He was the master of himself from the kiss of Judas till he cried with a loud voice and gave up the spirit. But in the garden, agony, the bloody sweat, the pleading prayer, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So he prays, first on his feet, and then on his knees, and then on his face. He knows it all, deeper, further than any of us. Beside his agony, our own seems to shrink, and every cross grows light beneath the shadow, Lord of thine. Then the voices through the trees, the, the gleaming of the lanterns, Judas and his leprous kiss, poor Peter dragging the sword from beneath his garment and taking a blow at the nearest man. He meant it for the head, but only got his ear. The shouts, the trampled undergrowth, the scared disciples, and the inquisitive mob. But Jesus is the master of the situation. His will is perfectly attuned to the Father's. He is going right on by the way of the cross. Turning on Peter, he ordered the sword back into its sheath and broke their last hopes of spectacular conquest. He would not appeal to force. Thinkest thou that I cannot beseech my father, and he shall not even now send me more than twelve legions of angels? But he would not, did not call them. He was taking the long way, but the only possible way, the way of love, and no pain would turn him back. Never had his father broken the rule of the ages and bludgeoned his way into the unwilling hearts of men. Jesus would not ask him to do it now. There was no discord in these wills so perfectly attuned. He would conquer sin with love. He would make the cross into a throne. He would use the shame and pain and humiliation to expose the very heart of God, and sin would not triumph. It would be but a dark background, revealing by contrast the wonder of that love. So he takes the cross, not of compulsion, not by mere submission or resignation. He takes the cross, but willingly. And when we see him here at the cross, we have the greatest aid to understand how the calamities of life can be wrested to our soul's use and to the use of others. He takes it willingly. His arms are not merely outstretched upon it. They are wound around it. He holds it to him. He does not merely suffer it. He employs it 
And so the symbol of shame becomes the focus point of the glory of God. In that same willing spirit, he desires that we meet and use the calamities of life that overtake us. An evil that cannot be put right must be resisted. The call of a situation that cannot be corrected is not easy acquiescence, but spirited opposition. But those are not the problems we are considering now. There is a finality about bereavement, an amputated limb, an incurable disease, a, a, a lost fortune. The real crosses of life, well, they have to be borne. Can you bear the cross willingly? That will change it from a weight into wings. It cannot crush you, you rise by it. So by my woes to be nearer to God, nearer my God to thee, nearer to thee. Through the shadows he guides us still and converts the loss into gain, working out of our folly and mistakes something which will be truly worthy of the price of pain that we have paid. So we believe they shall be made by the wisdom of God, the basis on which he will build our blessings. Our sins and our mistakes, even the saddest of our mistakes, the ones we made when we listened for his guiding voice but did not quite succeed in disentangling it from the voice of self-love. He will build a blessing on it, and in the light of heaven the mysteries will be solved. The gains of our losses will be made clear the fullest scope be found for the disciplined abilities that we have developed on earth. Then I shall see and hear and know all I desired and wished below, and every power find sweet employ in that eternal world of joy. Thank you for joining us for Christian Holiness Sunday. We'll see you again tomorrow.